Hey, everybody. All right, let me do this here. I don't want to ruin anything. Good morning. Happy 4th of July. Yeah. Oh, there we go. Still going. Good. If you have your Bibles, uh, you're, well, I want you to go to Daniel uh, chapter 1. Daniel chapter 1. Let me pray for us and we'll get, get going here. Heavenly Father, thank you for today. Thank you for what you're doing. Thank you for this country that we get to live in. Thank you for the freedoms um, that we get to experience. Thank you that you are our God and you are in control of everything. Forgive us of our sins, of our trespasses. Forgive us that we have many times become just like the culture around us that's telling us to do these things or, and because we were too afraid, we gave in. Forgive us. And we know you're faithful to do that. Thank you that you love us. Thanks for these students that are wanting to hear from you this week, wanting to hear from you right now. So would you be faithful to continue the work that you've begun in them? And God, through your word and your reading of your word, God, will we grow in understanding a greater love and appreciation of what it means to be known by you, to be loved by you, and God, that we would find who we really are and whose we really are as a result of that. In the name of the Father, Son, and Spirit, everybody said, amen. amen. Daniel chapter 1, we'll start in verse run, 1. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand with some of the vessels of the house of God. And he brought them to the land of Shinar, to the house of God, and placed the vessels in the treasury of God. So what's going on here is what we talked about last night. What's going on here last night is that Israel... God's chosen people. Yahweh is the name for God in the Hebrew. And Israel was set apart a long time ago in a covenant relationship with God. God said this, I will be your God and you will be my people. And I will make you a light unto the nations. The guiding principles that they follow is called the Torah. The first five books of the Bible that are guiding them and it's God's word helping set them apart from the culture that's around them. They have something called the Levitical law. It's a way in which you live your life and what you eat. And it's to help them remain holy before a holy God. But what has happened here is Israel has rebelled, as we said. Israel's rebelled. And as a result, God allows a rebel nation, Babylon, to come and overtake them. And as he, they have, God has allowed them to overtake, he literally exiles them. Babylon exiles them, and that simply means this, displaces them. Israel was their home. Israel is what they know. They, they lived in these houses. They had these communities. They had this way of life, just like you and me. And Babylon comes in and besieges the city and takes them away and humiliates them. And would take these things from their most sacred temple and put them into the temple of their false gods. As if to mock, see, what could your God do? 
Like he can do nothing. We've overcome you. And so they would remove them from Jerusalem now into this city of Babylon in which now they are called to live like the Babylonians. This is the idea of exile. This is what Israel is going through. And I want to be clear, and I said it last night. The reason why this is happening is because Israel has chosen not to follow and obey God. This is how we got here. This is what's going on. And Nebuchadnezzar, at this particular time, king of Babylon, is doing this in all the cities all over. He is, at this point, running it over. He is a superpower. And when they defeated their enemy, basically this is what they were saying. If you're going to make it here in this town, you're going to have to look like us, you're going to have to act like this. You're going to have to completely conform. Um, when I was my first year in youth ministry, my very first year in youth ministry, I was a pastor uh, at a church north of Chicago. And uh, I was wanting to make a really good impression, right? I was wanting to do, uh, blow it out of the water. I wanted to make the kids happy. I wanted to bring them all in. I wanted to be like the epic youth pastor that I had read about and heard about. And then I wanted to make my bosses happy because here they had brought me in and I wanted to make the parents happy. And so I decided in my mind, I came up with the most epic youth event of all time and in my brain it was so amazing and I was telling my leaders about it and they're like you sure you want to do that and I was like absolutely definitely want to do that and so basically what it was was this and I was a junior high youth pastor and you guys were once junior hires and so you know, right? Um, I was a junior high youth pastor, and what we did was we had four corners. The youth room was a gym, four corners, and every corner was a team. And in the center of the gym, I, I blew up like a thousand balloons. And the idea was you wanted, you wanted to run in, grab the balloons, bring it back to your corner, and then you needed to protect the balloons. Got it? Okay, so that was the idea. And whoever had the most balloons at the end wins. And then you had assassins who would come in and steal the balloons and stuff like this. Amazing, right? Sounds pretty awesome. So I decided, no, I'm going to need to step it up, right? That sounds like a cool like, activity. I need to step it up. So what I decided to do was turn off all the lights and turn on a strobe light and turn the music to 11, okay? So I was like, let's make it epic. It's going to be amazing, right? And then it was like, all the kids are in the corner. All the balloons are in the middle. Are you guys ready, right? And they're like, five, four, three, two, one. And the moment the lights went off and the strobes hit and the music that was blasting came in, I realized I have made a terrible mistake because all the junior high kids are running into the center of the gym at full junior high boy speed. And it was just like bodies colliding with one another. And I was like, oh my gosh, I have made a terrible mistake. And kids are laying on the ground. I'm not even joking when I say this, blood everywhere because heads were smashing one kid came up and said oh my gosh I hit somebody right and he no joke pulled his hands down and his teeth were sticking through his front lip one girl walked up and she had a gash in her head and was just bleeding profusely all the gym it was like a casualty like war casualty laying all around I was like what is going on? Now I have to call the parents and the paramedics and emergency and the fire department showing up. Epic event. Epic fail. Epic fail. Epic fail. Why? What's going on? Well, here's what's going on. 
what so many of us do. I'm not caring about the concerns of the kids. I'm caring about me, about just making it. My identity is constantly telling me I have to fit in. You know, my whole life, I've just wanted to be a somebody. You ever been there? Just want to fit, whatever it takes. And in this particular scene in my life, I wanted to be known as an awesome youth pastor. And people got hurt. People got hurt. And I think that's what happens when our value is placed in a sinful humanity. Instead of the loving hands of God who created heaven and earth and breathed into our lungs with great purpose. This is what is trying to be reminded to the people of Israel while they're in exile. While their lives have been completely uprooted and they're in a culture that's saying, if you want to make it here, you got to look like us. You got to act like us. You got to be like us. And in chapter, and in, and in chapter uh, 1, we'll start in verse 3, it says this. Then the king commanded uh, Ahashapaz, sorry, the chief eunuch, to bring some of the people to Israel, both from the royal family and nobility and use without blemish, good appearance, skillful in all wisdom, endowed with knowledge and understanding and learning and competent to stand in the king's palace. And to teach them the literature of the language of the Chaldeans, the Babylonians. The king assigned to them daily portions of food that the king ate and, and of wine and of drink. And they were educated for three years. And at the end of the time, they were to stand before the king. Among these were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, Azariah, and a tri- from the tribe of Judah, the chief of the eunuchs, gave them new names. Daniel was called Belshazzar, Hananiah, Shadrach, uh, Mishael, uh, uh, Meshach, and Azariah called Abednego. So what happens is once you take them over, then they would pick the best people. And there was a criteria in which they had to pick them. They had to be from a royal lineage, they had to be around 17, 13 to 17. They had to be without blemish and good appearance. They had to be skillful in wisdom, endowed with knowledge, understanding, and learning. They had to be mature. That means they were competent to stand before the king. When I was going to Moody Bible Institute in Chicago, Illinois, that's where Jesus went, um, went to school. So when I was going there, I took youth ministry. I actually have a degree in youth ministry. And the only reason I got that degree is because I didn't want to take Greek and Hebrew. And so they said it was the easiest degree to get, so that's the one I took. Anyway, uh, when I would go to my youth ministry classes at that particular time, so that was 96, I went and one of the pervading philosophies in how to get students to come to youth group was this. This is a strategy. Find the athletes, the cheerleaders, the most important popular kids in the school befriend them and they will draw all the kids literally this is what I was taught and I was like this doesn't feel right to me I don't like this but I'm telling you this is what I was trained in then how to grow youth ministries go to the popular kids get them stuff their faces with pizza and soda Get them to like you, share with them about Jesus, help them come to know, and then they will bring everybody else. This is what's going on in Babylonian captivity. 
They're going, let's pick the best of the best. We're going to indoctrinate them. They want them to look like us. They're going to go back to the people and go, see, it's okay. Just be like us. We made it. You can do it. And so what they would do is they would educate them. They were deprogramming them. Now, the Israelites were programmed, or not programmed, but taught through the word of God, the Torah, about who God is and who they were in relation to God and how that impacted their life. The Babylonians were teaching them something different. Also, they changed the way they ate, which they knew came against. Again, be like us. They gave them a new identity. They changed their names. Daniel's name means God is my judge. His new name, Belshazzar, Bel's prince. Literally, Bel was the, 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 the god the God of the Babylonians. And he said, this is what we're going to name you now. Hananiah, God has been gracious. Shadrach, illuminated. This is his new name they gave him. Illuminated by sun God. Michel, one who is as God. Meshach is his new name. One who is a shack. Azariah, God is my help. Abednego is servant of Nego. This is what they were trying to do. Give them a new identity. Completely reconstruct their world. What do you do? What do you do when a society is saying, in order to survive here, in order to live, in order to belong, in order to make it in exile, to survive the culture in which you find yourself in, what are you going to do? You're either going to give in, or you're going to live in to who God, Yahweh, has called them to be. But this one is dangerous. This one is dangerous. It's going to cost you something. My son, I, got a, I have two sons. I've got one, and, and some of you might have this dynamic in your home. I've got one son who's like a rule follower. Raise your hand if you're like the rule follower, right? You didn't get in trouble all that much, right? Yeah, you did kind of the right thing. That's, that's my oldest son, you know? When he was a kid, he put himself in timeout. No joke. He'd be like, hey, I made a mistake, I'm just going to go ahead and, and he put himself in time. My wife and I thought we crushed. We were like, we're the best parents who have ever existed. And then our sweet sex, second son came. Oh, okay, okay. Man. No, that's how he got here, okay? Yeah, that's, yeah, they'll, they'll teach you that stuff. It's fine, it's fine. That's, yeah, they teach you that stuff. I'm glad you picked up on it. You guys are really picking up. Now I got you listening. See, it worked. It worked, it worked. Yep. That's how we got here. There you go. End of lesson. <laughs> you guys are brutal. Uh, <laughs> so my second son came to us through the beautiful, no, I just kidding. Uh, so my second son, uh, Cooper, came out of the womb going like, ah, right? Just creating chaos all over the place. So anyway, my, I get a call that my senior or my son's senior year, Ben's senior year, my firstborn, I, I get a call from the principal of the school. Normally, we're getting a call from the principal of school because of my other son, right? Which is usually like he's done something stupid. But I get a call from my oldest. And the, he's, my son's in the office with him. And I'm like, what is, what's going on? You know, bud, what's happening? And the principal's like, I just want you to know something happened in the classroom today. And, uh, and I was like, okay, tell me the story. So the principal says, well, Ben, ben uh, stood up for some kids of color in the class. 
because the teacher was making a racial slur. And he kept saying it over and over. And Ben stood up, my son, my sweet, quiet, not one to offend anybody, son, stood up and said, don't say that. Don't say that. And the guy, the teacher kept saying it. Stop saying that. And so he, my son went to the principal and said, this is what's going on. The principal investigated. They actually fired the teacher. But here's the thing. You got a whole class that's quiet. Whole quiet class that's seeing the injustice that's happening in that space. Just keeping their mouth shut because it's too costly to do the right thing. And I'm proud of my son. And I got to say in front of the principal, I am so proud of you. That didn't just pop up one day. He has come to understand who God is, who he is in Christ, and who others are. That there is, that all of us are free in Christ. And that we are to be advocates upon, in, 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 in stand in the gap for those who are being oppressed. And this is what Ben did. I was so proud of him. This is what we're being called to do. This is the action we are to take. And this, in verse 8, is what Daniel does. Daniel says this in verse 8. I love this. But Daniel, in the midst of this pressure to conform, to be like the culture, Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine he drank. Therefore, he asked the chief of the eunuchs to allow him not to defile himself. That conjunction all throughout scripture is so important. But Daniel, which means this, there's a whole other group of people on this side and the conjunction says something's changed. Something's happened. Everybody's this way and acting this way and conforming this way. But Daniel was like, no, I'm I don't want to be like everybody else. I don't want to do what they're doing because I am a child of the most high God. He has taught me my whole life. And I'm going to stand against what is being taught to me and how to live. But Daniel resolved, came to a conclusion, said resilient, not going to do it, not going to give in, not going to compromise everyone is going this way and Daniel is going this way and you will see this over and over in the life of Daniel everybody's doing this and Daniel goes I know who I am and I'm going to stand firm in who I'm going to trust that he's going to take control of me that he knows where I should go that he knows who that I serve him and him alone and he'll protect me he will feed me he will give me wisdom he will show me where to go what to do what to say how to act and he gets the glory at the end of the day This is a life completely submitted to God. And what I find so interesting is that he revolts against the food. He could have revolted against everything. It was the food. And I think that's interesting. Because in Genesis 1, God created the heavens and the earth. And God made everything what? Anybody know? Good. God can't help but make things good because God's good. So he makes a tree and it's what kind of a tree? It's a good tree. Because God is good. Everything he creates is good. Humanity is good. Genesis 3. An apple. Just this basic thing. 
the curiosity that it stirs up in Eve. And they both give in and they sin. And that sin separates them from God. Fractures this relationship. And it's interesting here in this moment, Daniel's like, I'm not going to eat the food. I'm not going to take the apple. I know what is the part of our story, how we got to this point, and I'm going to resist this in the name of Yahweh, in the name of God, and I'm going to live for him faithfully. Why? Because he fears God. He fears God more than the king. In fact, the eunuch says this, the cheek eunuch said to Daniel, I fear my Lord the king. The eunuch's going, I'm just doing what everybody else is doing. I, I, I fear the king. And Daniel's like, I don't fear your king. I fear God. I fear God, the God of the universe. Like Isaiah says this in, in talking about in the presence of God. He said this, that the, he saw the Lord and he, he, he said, I am a man of unclean lips and I live amongst the people that are unclean. He like, the, the angels are covering their face in the vision and, and, and Isaiah feels the weight because God is so holy. And if you don't fear God, you don't know God. If you don't fear God, you don't know God. Daniel fears God. It's why he's able to do this. He fears it more than anything else. And what I find so interesting in our particular culture is that we think fear is a bad thing. I want you to know this. I fear my wife. I fear her. And it, but it's created an intimacy, right? Because if I decide to go hang out with some other women because it just kind of feels awesome and it seems cool, I know my wife's going to be like, no play a no, okay? I know, that's, I know how she is going to respond because we're in a covenant relationship with one another. When I stood at that altar and I made a commitment under God in front of him, our family, and our friends. We are covenant together. I fear that if I choose to go do these things, she will come against me. And she should. I fear that. But that fear doesn't push me away from her. It draws me in. Because here's what I want to do. As I come to understand it, it draws me in. It doesn't push me away. I want to understand more about it. I want to grow in an intimate relationship with my wife. That's what fear does. It's not this, I am God and I'm going to crush you all, which is what so many of us think about fear, but fear is such an important part of our lives. Daniel fears God, and the reason, he, and the reason he's able to do what he's able to do is because he has an intimate relationship with God that he knows who God is. Here's what it is. I know who my wife is. I know who she is. I know the covenant I made with her. And I am willing to resist the temptation over here to live in a covenant relationship with her here. I'm able to make a stand because of that. Same with Daniel. In the midst of a culture with all the pressure, what about you? What about you? Because this is the culture in which we find ourselves in today. Cultural indoctrination is at the core a Satan's strategy in our lives. It's cultural brainwashing. And so many of us are caught into it. This is happening to you and to me right now. You are being formed by all that you watch. 
all that you listen to. It's indoctrinating you. It's telling you what to believe in, what to vote for, what to affirm. But if we don't fear God, then we just do whatever the culture tells us to do. That's why there's so much confusion. Nobody knows where to go. Nobody knows what decision to make because they don't know who God is. And so they just join the other fish swimming down the stream instead of going, I'm not going to do that. Because I know who God is and I know who I am in light of who he is. And I'm going to stand to be different and it's going to cost me something. You need to really know God. Hear me clearly. You really need to know God. Hosea, I told you, Hosea 6.1. Hosea 6.3 says this. Again, he's talking to people who have rebelled against God. And he's saying this. Look, look up here. Everybody here. 6.3 says, let us know. Let us press on to know. By the way, there's a repetition in Scripture. Anytime you see a repetition in Scripture, get your chin up. Uh-oh, he's trying to tell us something. Something very important is coming. Let us know. Let us press on to know the Lord. For his going out is sure as the dawn. He will come to us as the showers, as the spring rains that waters the earth. That word to know God, I think I'd like to help you with that word. In the Hebrew, the word is yada. Say yada. Look at you, you know Hebrew. See, I didn't even take it in Bible college. Yada. Yada literally means intimacy. Like a husband and wife on their wedding night. That's the way we are to know God. But here's what I think. I think that many of us think to know God is just to go like, yeah, I know about him. I know about him, right? If you start reading through the book of Daniel, Nebuchadnezzar knows God, knows about God. But Daniel knows Yada God. He knows him intimately. It affects the way he lives. I Yada my wife. I know her and it impacts the way I live my life. That's why I can resist this, because I know her. Daniel knows God, and if we really know God, it changes everything we do. It allows us to stand against the culture that's giving us all the pressure to conform and indoctrinate, and we get to be like him, for him, for his glory. And it is enough, because I don't just know about him, I know him. Here's the thing, I know there's a bunch of kids in here that have been raised in church. And you like, know God. Like going to church and youth group is just this habitual thing that you do. You check a box on your weekly calendar and it makes you feel good to some extent. And I'm not saying that's a bad thing. But do you yada God? Do you know him intimately to the point that you will say no and resist this in order to really know and be known by him? Do you? This is the only way we will be able to survive in exile. It's the only way we will make it through and not accommodate everything our culture is telling us to do. But not only that, we need to know God's word. Daniel keeps coming back to the fact that we can't do this because we've been taught a certain way to live. And it was divinely written down for us because 
God intimately loves me. He intimately loves you, intimately loves Daniel. He wants to give him instruction on how to have life and life to the full, as it says in John. We need to know scripture. We need to know the word of God. Psalms 119, 105 says this, your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. So many people are just lost in this culture that is crushing and oppressing them to just be like them. We don't know where to go. We don't know the decisions to make. But if you know God's word, you will know God. And if you know God, it will impact the way you live. You don't have to looking for truth anywhere else other than in God and in his word that is directing you to holiness. This is why I think the concept of my truth, your truth, is so stupid. My truth, this is my truth. Well, I like to kill kittens. That's my truth. Don't come up against me. Wait a second. That's my truth. That's my truth. You see how ridiculous this is? You see, you see how crazy this is? And it's, listen, it's everywhere. If it's your truth, then you're bound by no authority. I don't need God. I don't need this. I just need me. How's that going for us? Because last time I checked, stuff's not getting better. Because... I've delivered myself into the narrative the culture has provided for me to kill and destroy me. This is Satan's plan in your life, I want you to know. He wants you dead. He wants your identity to be so skewered, so misunderstood, so you don't know who you are. And because you don't know who you are, you have to go medicate yourself in oblivion. And then when that doesn't work, hopelessness sets in. I must not matter. I'm never going to be better. And then I think crazy thoughts about not existing in this world. You see how nuts this is? And it's pervasive. And it breaks my heart for you. It really does. It's so hard. I just want you to know it's so hard. Because it feels so good to say this to live like this. It feels so good. It feels like I'm in a company of people. And see, yeah, but in reality, what you don't know is your soul is so sick and you are dying whether you know it or not. Daniel knows this because he knows intimately God. His value, his purpose, his identity is found solely in who God says he is. And God says, you're my son. Your identity is following me. I made you. I fearfully and wonderfully made you. I knit you together in your mother's womb because you belong right now in my care, in my comfort. The culture doesn't care about you. They're just trying to steal from you. And they will throw you away the moment you resist them. The moment you don't live into what they say. Here, I have life and life to the full. But that's what it is to know God. And that's what it is to know his word. And then to know God's way. This is about character. 
And I wish we talked in more about character, but we need character in this world. Ecclesiastes 7.13 says this, watch the way that God works and fall in line. Don't fight the ways of God for who can make straight what God has made crooked. Watch the way that God does things. Fall in line with the way he does things. Don't fight his ways. They're perfect and holy. Who can make straight what God has made crooked? The culture wants to make you a straight line that's running just like everybody else when the Lord's like, I got a whole adventure in knowing me and knowing my word and knowing my ways. I, you know, I told you I go to India a lot and I go to India and I, uh, in this village and I'm, I'm, I'm interviewing this pastor and I'm asking him about what it is to be a pastor in India. And this man says to me, he says, oh, you know, my family and I are persecuted and, and my wife is beaten and my kids are beaten. Our house has been burned down three times. And I just looked at him and I said, why did you decide to be a pastor? Why? Why would you choose to be oppressed and have your kids be beaten, and have your wife be beaten, have your home be burned? Why would you do this? And he said this, because Jesus loves me. And in my mind, I thought, yeah, but what else? Like, there's got to be more to it, right? There's got to be, no. Jesus loves me. That's what he said. Jesus, and he smiles. Jesus loves me. And I just want other people to know the love that he has for me. I want them to have that love. So I'm not afraid. They can beat me. They can burn my house to the ground. They can kill me. They can destroy me. But I am loved by the God of the universe. I was so deeply convicted by that. Because do I believe that? Do I really, yada God, know him? Or am I just like everybody else who shows up every Sunday or Wednesday and just goes through the motion? And I'm so easily swayed to do what the culture says. But here is a firm foundation in being known by God and knowing God. This is what Daniel is going to display to us over and over in the middle of exile. Because God is the one who's speaking to Daniel. God is the one who's leading Daniel. And as Daniel obeys, God blesses. I hope you're convicted by this. I hope it spurs great conversation as you go into this next section that you're in. I'm really excited about what we're going to teach about tonight. But I really want you to go, do I just know about God? Do I know about the Bible? Or do I really know, yada, intimately know God? intimately know his word father god thank you that you give us this time together thank you that you intimately know me and i know for my whole life i feel like i've been trying to prove to you look look see how good i am see what i'm doing see all these great things and you're like i just you have nothing to prove jeff and no one to impress i love you outside of any works you i just love you thank you that you're teaching me to receive that love to receive that identity in you so i can go live in this world as a light unto the nations would you uh do for each one of these students that you are doing in my life that you are humbling me and reminding me that my identity is found in you your truth is written in your word and as i live it out 
It is a lamp unto my feet. It's guiding me in the midst of cultural craziness. I pray that you would be them with them throughout the rest of this day. Protect them. God, we love you and we thank you. We give you all the glory, honor, and praise. In the name of the Father, Son, and Spirit. Amen.